And what a great feast we've had this morning, sharing God's Word. These seminars are so uh, so enriching, so, so challenging. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for sharing those truths. We come to our last session this, uh, this morning, and they're looking to open your Bibles to Luke 23. <clears throat> the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, will be our text this morning. Well, we trust you've had a good morning. Uh, been a great time together. When I look at your masks, I think of uh, I think of those two uh, <clears throat> two uh, homeboys, two gangbangers that got converted. They came to Christ, and uh, no sooner had they come to Christ than when they were cruising down the boulevard, and one of their former gangbangers shot them both dead. And there, uh, so they end up going to um, St. Peter's Gate. And they go up to St. Peter's Gate, both of them, and they see Peter there, and they said, Peter, can uh, we, we're here in the pearly gates. Which, could, could we see Jesus? And he said, well, let me check. So I went up, and he said to the Lord, Lord, there's a couple of guys that uh, they just came, and they want to talk to you, want to see you. A couple of gangbangers that got converted, and they want to see you. He said, sure, bring him in. So Peter goes out, and then he comes back in. He says, Lord, they're gone. They're gone? The, the gangbangers are gone? No, the pearly gates are gone. <clears throat> Sometimes that happens, doesn't it? <clears throat> yeah, God, does, God has to do a, a purging. I heard a story of a guy that was dying also, this fellow that was on his deathbed. And then he says to the pastor, Pastor, I have a special request to ask you. I said, What's that? He says, I'd like to have, a, I'm about to die. I'd like to have a, a, a two guests to join me here. Could you, have, could you ask a banker and a lawyer to come and be my guest as I give my last breath? And he says, uh, sure. Why would you want to do that? He says, well, I want you to put a banker on one side and a lawyer on the other side. Because I want to be just like Jesus. I want to die between two thieves. <clears throat> well, we want to be like Jesus, but not, uh, not like that, right? Actually, our text is going to be about the two thieves. Two thieves this, this, uh, this morning. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 23... We have an account, and starting at verse 32 of Luke 23, and there were two others also who were criminals, were being led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. <clears throat> but Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up their garments among themselves. And the people stood by, looking on. And even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked and came up to him, offering sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who was 
who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him, said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? For we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. We're going to ask the, uh, this thief to speak to us today. One of the, one of the two thieves <clears throat> that was hung there with Christ, he had an awakening on the cross. Had an awakening. Something happened to him on the cross. His eyes were opened. Matthew tells us that when they were first crucified, they were both in unison mocking and hurling abuse at Jesus. They were both doing it. But in the process of the crucifixion, one of them had an epiphany and he changed. And with the change, he spoke to his companion, his partner in crime. And he spoke to him about the fear of God. The fear of God. How could you be hanging on the cross and have no fear of God? How can you be on your deathbed and have no fear of God? I'm using this text and this thief to speak to us because it is possible for you and I to lose our fear of God. I've been in this business for a long time. And we can be in a seminar like this. We can be in church. We can be in Christ 10, 15, 20 years, 30 and then slowly lose the fear of God and even, even apostatize and live as though there is no God and have, have no fear, no awe, no reverence, no wonder of God. It can happen to you as it happens to preachers. And, and I want this thief to help us. How is it that we could ever lose the fear? How did this other thief end up like this on the cross with no fear of God at all. And that, what led him there can also lead us there too. We could lose the reverence and the awe and the love of God. And our love can wax cold. When you read Jude, you read Second Peter, you'll find that in the church there were those that were what he calls hidden reefs in their love feast who were acting wickedly without fear. Bold, bold hypocrites. And that can happen to us as well. I'm going to listen to the, to the thief as he speaks to his companion. And he's going to, he's going to speak to us and remind us how is it that we could ever lose the fear of God? He had magnificent exposition of what it is today. How could we ever lose that? And there are think there are think as he as, as he addresses the thief, there are five steps 
five steps that we could take, that wrong steps that we could take that would cause us to lose the fear of God. First of all, let me just begin by saying, we can lose the fear of God if we take sin lightly. We can lose the fear of God if we take sin lightly. Now, obviously, these men were, they were thieves. Now, Luke doesn't tell us they were thieves. Matthew tells us they were thieves, but Luke doesn't tell us that. Luke tells us they were, they were evildoers. They were criminals. Now, their crime was obviously thieves, thievery. And so they, they became evildoers. They were the kind of men that it speaks in Psalm 36. Go to Psalm, thir- Psalm 36. In Psalm 36, words that Paul would later quote in his, his, his epistle to the Romans. He speaks of this kind of man who gets involved in iniquity and sin. Transgressions, Psalm 36 once, transgression speaks to the ungodly within his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for it flatters him in his own eyes concerning the discovery of his iniquity and the hatred of it. The words of his mouth are wicked, wickedness and deceit. He has ceased to be wise and to be good. He plans wickedness upon his bed. He sets his path on a, he sets himself on a path that is not good. He does not despise evil. And it's, it's this taking sin lightly that can eventually affect us. And so this, this thief reminds, reminds himself and reminds his companion, we, we became, we became thieves. We were, we were not born thieves. We became thieves. We used to be mama's little boys. We were cradled by our mothers. She breastfed us. She nursed, she nourished us. She took care of us. We were not born wicked. We became. And we did so because we got involved in sin. The apostle to the Hebrews reminds us that we need to be careful. That we do not fall into the deceitfulness of sin. Not be hardened by it. But especially fall into the deceitfulness of sin. Sin can be so deceptive. It always masquerades like something good. Something pleasant. Something pleasurable something delightful, something legal, and it's all deception. And if we're not careful, we can fall into that. Any one of us can do so. And so we we don't want to take sin lightly. Go to John 12. Go to John 12. In John 12, we see the, the situation in... In Lazarus' home, where Mary there anoints, anoints the Lord Jesus with her perfume. She's not the same lady we spoke about earlier. This is a different anointing in a different place. And it says in verse 4, verse 4, But Judas Iscariot, one of the, his disciples, who was intending to betray him, he said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? Now, he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a what? A thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. He was a church treasurer. Figure that one out. 
He was a church treasurer that was taking the treasury, the, the offerings, and pilfering. A pence here, a mite there, a denarii there. And then later on, betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ for how much? 30 pieces of silver. The two, the two mites, the pence, the one denaria grew and now became 30 pieces of silver. Gentlemen, that's how it begins. It begins with the little picadillos, the little sins, the little sins, the little foxes come in and they nibble here and they nibble there. Before you know it, they grow. And then we do what Judas did. No fear. No fear. And betrays his, his own Savior and his own Lord. You see, and this is how it happens. Eventually, it develops hardness of heart. Hardness of heart. That's why the apostle reminds us that we need to be careful that we are not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I'm a preacher, gentlemen. I'm a preacher. And I usually know those that are in the audience. And I can preach, and I've preached, in the, I've preached for years to people. And there's some that can sit in the audience, and I know, I can think of one man that was in, in adultery. He was a man raised in the church, a man that held office, and there sat in the pew, and open in adultery. Sitting there, I can see him now. Sitting there and looking at me, and I preached directly to him. I expounded the word, and there was no movement, no blinking of the eye, no, no tears shed, no bowing of the head in shame, nothing but absolute hardness of heart. It happened to him. It can happen to you. It can happen to me. We allow sin to come in. We take it lightly. And so when the man speaks to his companion, he says, you know what? We are, we are thieves. We allowed ourselves to get into the situation. We are here. How could you not fear God? Well, because you allowed yourself to become this. And your hardened heart against God. And I would say, brothers, this morning as we have talked about the fear of God, it would be great for us to look at our lives and make sure that we have not allowed us to begin to take sin lightly. We cheer. And our culture does that. So we need to be careful. I mean, our Christian culture does that. We need to be careful in relation to that. And going back to Luke 23, there's a second, second problem that the thief, his companion, exposes his, his fellow criminal. And, and that's, do you not fear God? Don't you fear God? That was in response to what the criminal was saying. He was mocking Christ. He was hurting abuse at him. He was saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Now the gospel writers, both uh, Matthew and Luke, do us a favor because they, they scan the audience. For example, when you go to Matthew, scans begins with the, the populace that were watching, watching the crucifixion they're mocking him. The general populace, all the crowd is out there laughing and mocking at Christ. And then the, 
the rulers, the chief priests and the scribes, they, they chime in and they begin to mock him. Are you, are you really the Jesus? Are you the Christ? Come down and, and we'll believe in you. And even the soldiers get into the, they get into the fray. The, the ones that's authorized and given the charge of crucifying Christ, they also, you know, are you the king of the Jews? That's what it says up there. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Do something, save yourself. And then the criminal, he joins in and he starts and he says the same thing. You know, are you the Christ? Save yourself. Mocking. And the thief then turns to him, don't you fear God? Don't you fear God? Mocking him like this? Mocking this man? Don't you fear him? And gentlemen, what I've seen throughout the years is that we can, we can as men of God get into a form of life where we are actually doing the same thing concerning the holy things of God. We can also begin to mock religion. We know the game well. We know the game. We know the terminology well. We know how to do, how to do things and we begin to mock the things of God. We can mock the truths. Jesus had the uh, strongest condemnation against the scribes, the Pharisees, these hypocrites who knew the truth of God and mocked it. They laughed at it. They minimized it. They betrayed it. They exchanged it for their traditions. Took the word of God and removed it and replaced it with their own ideas and their own traditions. And the Lord rebuked them for that. We can do the same thing. We can take the precious truths of God and, and then just take, take them lightly and don't honor them as we should. We can take the holy things of God, things that we consider holy. I mean, you know your Bibles. I hope you know your Bibles where that high priest Eli had two sons. And these sons were responsible to be, to give the sacrifices, to worship, to lead the people in worship. First Samuel chapter 2. And they're Eli's sons. They, they did exactly what, what it says here. They were mocking God. They were responsible to lay the offerings, to give the offerings to God. And instead of doing it righteously, they were in some ways embezzling. They, were, they had ladies that came to help, and they were committing adultery, fornicating with them. Here they are in immorality. Here they are in embezzlement. Here they are the priests. They knew the office. They had the office. And there they were carrying on, mocking the very office, mocking the sacrifices. And they had no fear of God before them. This is frightening. But here's what happens. Familiarity breeds contempt. We can get so used to it, so used to the great holy things of God, that we then begin to take them lightly and even to mock them. I have a website that every day I chime into it. And this guy's website is exposing pastors that commit all kinds of crimes and 
adulteries and thievery and things like that. It's all American stuff. And it's sad. Sad, but that's what, he, that's what he's called to do, he says. I'm called to expose what people are doing out there. And it's sad. But it's only the tip of the iceberg. What? Because sometimes we, we do the same thing. We take the, the great things of God and then we, we minimize and we actually mock them. We just go through the motions of it. We don't even take them seriously. And that ought not be. We ought to always think of our faith and our religion and, and never play loose with it. It always should be a serious thing. And never, never laugh. Never laugh. And it's, it's important that we understand that. This man was, was mocking organized religion. Are you the Christ? He's a criminal. Obviously, obviously Jewish. Crucified. Are you the Christ? All the scriptures pointed to Christ. All of, from Genesis all the way through to Malachi ended with the coming of the Messiah. All, all religion pointed to the coming of Christ, organized religion. Here the man was mocking organized religion. All that Christ spoke about, he was speaking against it. We have it today. You, you and I can get into mocking. or And it's, it's popular right now in America to mock organized religion. You know, we, church attendance is on a downhill. Involvement in the things of God is like absent. And this pandemic is giving everybody an excuse. I ain't going to church, you know. It's too many people there. Well, you go to Costco and you're packed there. You're there. Talk to me now. You get on your bus and you go to, you go to, you go to work. Yes or no? You go to these ball games, you're there. You have it all planned for tomorrow afternoon to watch the ball game. You're going to be packed. Not in church, you're going to be in front of a television worshiping the 49ers. <laughs> uh, Jesus never mocked religion. He never mocked religion. On the eighth day, after, on his eighth day, he was circumcised. They took him to the temple and circumcised him. He preached at Nazareth where he was raised up on the Sabbath. It was his custom on the Sabbath to be in the synagogue. He was a reader of scripture in the synagogue. That was his custom. A few days before this, he cleansed the temple that was being desecrated. He was a churchman, organized religion, didn't mock it. People do. They mock heaven, they mock hell. And the Lord reminds us, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. And so we don't want to dare... You know, the biggest battle that we have today among evangelical Christians is dealing with their licentiousness. 
the looseness. Not how close can I get to God. All, all, all these examples like Jonathan Edwards and John Bunyan and the great men of God who try to be as close to God as possible. But when they went to preaching, the preacher preached, they preached the, the little details, the dotting of the eye and the crossing of the teeth. They went home and repented about that. And we preach on those things and there's a riot in the church. Upset. Where's my freedom? Not where's my holiness? And so we mocked. And so you say, don't you fear God? Have you no fear of God? Mocking this man? The way you do? And then he adds a third, he makes a third observation about this man. You lost your fear of God, you have no fear of God. And don't you understand that you and I are in the same sentence of condemnation? How can you hang there and say that? Look at you, you're on the cross, you're getting crucified. You're in the same sentence of condemnation and there's no fear? In a few moments, you and I are going to face God and there's no fear? You've lost it all. And, and that happens. We read early out of Hebrews chapter 10. The vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Our God is a consuming fire. You see... We can lose. We can lose the whole fear of retribution. We can go through life after a while and realize, see, at first when we come to Christ, we're new Christians, we're new people. The fear of God, as we expect this morning, it would, we don't see it as love. We don't see it as reverence. We see it as God's righteous judgment and his wrath. And we are, we are driven to fear and we behave because of retribution. But after a while, we lose that. We lose the fear of retribution, and then all of a sudden, then we lose the fear of God. Ecclesiastes 8, Ecclesiastes 8, turn there, please, Ecclesiastes 8. Solomon reminds us here of this very truth. He says in Ecclesiastes 8, 11, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, Therefore, the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do what? To do evil. He, this is 3,000 years ago. He made the statement that when people escape retribution, then they lose the fear of God. And we live in a culture like that. We live in a situation where there, because a sentence against evil is not executed, Somehow we, and God is, God is in his providence. God doesn't always execute his wrath immediately. Now you and I have experienced that we've openly disobeyed God and then waited for him to get after it and it doesn't happen. Hey, you know, we get away with it. It's the patience of God. But he said, I will by no means clear the what? The guilty. Just because he doesn't strike you today does not mean he won't strike you tomorrow. 
It's called the patience of God, and God is so patient. The whole book of Nahum reminding us of that. And so there's the patience of God. We live in a time of modern medicine and science. Well, we used to get sick, and they would turn you to God. Remember that? Well, now you get sick, and you turn to the doctor. And so nobody's dying. You know what I'm saying? We don't die, so we just get on with it. We have great medicine, and we have great doctors, but all it does is postpone the inevitable day. It doesn't eliminate it. We just move the... Uh, we, we, the, the, the average day of dying, age of dying, has just been removed. My, both my parents died in their 60s. My wife and I are in our 70s, and in other words, we just postponed it, but the day is coming. But we think we're never going to die. You know what I'm saying? We think we're never going to die, and so wow, we just walk waltzing around. Because it's not carried out and then our culture, our culture is so, is so non, non-retribution. Even our own government doesn't punish criminals. We have a hard time punishing criminals. We pamper them. A criminal's better off going to, a guy can be better off going to prison for a year, get all his teeth fixed. You know, get all his uh, his stuff fixed out, Botox and everything else. Even become transgender in jail and come out a brand new man in a year. It pays to be a criminal. Yeah, we are so into organic. That's why your that's why your bacon is more expensive because all pigs got to be organic now. That's so why your chicken, your chicken is more expensive because they got to be organic chickens. They can't be in a box. They got to be out, you know, green, green grass. And so even our criminals now are organic. It pays to be a criminal. You see, in that, that causes, it causes us to lose the fear of God. You and also me, if we're not careful. We have so much false assurance out there. It's incredible. It's all this assurance. That's what provoked John the Baptist. When John the Baptist comes in the scene, in uh, Matthew chapter 3, comes in the scene, it's like, whoa, something out of, whoa, where did this man come from? Even his appearance, camel's hair, leather belt around his waist, preaching a message of redemption. You snakes, you generation of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. And don't think this, just because you're Jews, just because you're, you're, you say you're from Abraham, don't think that's going to spare you. God is able to raise children out of stone. You don't need you hypocrites. You have this false assurance because you think you're Jews that you're going to make it. And so it is. And so we have in our culture all this False assurance, universalism. Uh, that you you get annihilated when you die, you're annihilated. You cease to exist. All this cheap grace that will always forgive you. He'll never punish you. God is a God of love, not wrath. Hell, He would never make hell. God is so loving, He would never make hell. Shut up. 
You're always trying to be politically correct. And God hates nobody. There's no punishment. There's no wrath and all that. And friend, friend, all that. And then a callousness, a callousness comes upon us. Most recent fad is euthanasia. Now you can, you can take your own life. Some lady in Australia, she's, she's laughing and having a great time because she's decided to take her life. And so she's, she's laughing and she's carrying on because she's going to end her life. In her life, and then what? Her life doesn't end. We, we are made eternal beings. All around us, we have young men that are, our schools are, you know, they go and they blow people away. They want to die in a blaze of glory. Take a machine gun or weapons and just destroy people and die in a blaze of glory, a callousness, because there's been no fear. They've, been, they've never been disciplined, never been punished for their wickedness. They watch stuff that never sees, that's never real. It's always unreal. Blaze of glory. They go from the pan into the fires of hell. That's what you know. They laugh at death. They laugh at death. And we sit here and we realize that, whoa, whoa. We dare not lose the fear of retribution. The fear of God. This guy lost it. And then he moves along fourthly to another area. He says to him, you know, you have no fear of God. You know, you and I are suffering justly. We deserve what we're getting here. We deserve it. We deserve that cross. I deserve it and you deserve it. We are suffering justly. For he's saying, save yourself and us. We know that you're the Christ and you're not guilty, but save us too. You know why, Jesus? Because we don't deserve to be here either. See, that is the problem. The problem is that we don't think we're guilty. I guess you know by now that most folks, in, most guys in jails don't think they belong there. Remember when you were there? You didn't think you belonged there either. <laughs> Talk to me now. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's, that's, that's the common thing. Most, we, don't, we don't deserve this. We have a, we have a society. We have a, a, a generation of blame. We blame everybody except ourselves. And that's why this man on the cross is there doing a thing. He's lost his fear because somehow he thinks he doesn't deserve to be there. And there's going to be ultimately someplace, somewhere, someone going to set him free. And it's not. So we blame. We blame our parents. We blame mom and dad for our miserable lives. Some of us husbands blame our wives. Now, the reason why I don't love God the way I should, Pastor Montoya, is, well, you know, you don't know my wife, Jezebel. You don't know her. You know, well, well, let me ask you, sir, who puts the spoon in your mouth? I'm going to ask you one more time. Who puts the spoon in your mouth? Talk to me. You do. Don't you? I mean, I feed myself, don't you? I can't blame anybody else around me. And yet we're blaming, blaming mom and dad, blaming our spouses. 
We blame society. The big Bibles right now, all the culture. We, we burned cities last year, you know, 600 riots. People died and they're still going on with it. Inequality, racism, gender. Really? Really? You got in sin and lost your fear of God because of inequality? It's always been, there's always inequality. Because they're all different. They're all different. Some of us are lazier than other people. You know what I'm saying? You don't mind taking the bus. Dr. Felix drives a Mercedes. Inequality. Gotta get mad at him. Oh, look at him. You know, he's he's 65. You're only 23. You get upset. But I'm brown, you know, and I'm white, and I'm, you know what? Can't help that. I love my tan, natural tan. We blame the environment. Ghetto, barrio. I am just, I'm happy because I was born in the barrio. Really? Really? So was my dog, but he's not in jail. We want, the, we want the government now to come and rescue us. Hmm? Talk to me now. Yeah. You know, I preach like this and some, some folks get upset. But you know, it's the truth. And do I care if you get upset? I don't care if you get upset. Don't bother me any. I don't ask to come here. He asked me to come here. <laughs> Someone, someone said this. He says, you throw a rock into a bag, of, into a pack of dogs, a dog that yelps is the dog you hit. <laughs> and then and some of us, we lose our fear of God because we blame the church. Love to blame the church. Well, they didn't teach me. And they don't care for me. Nobody calls. Nobody visits. So I blame the church. And so we, we have an excuse to stop reading the Bible and stop praying and stop having this love for God. And we, we blame the church. Listen, folks, listen, guys. In America, you have choices. If you don't, if you don't like McDonald's, go to Carl's. You know what I'm saying? Don't, don't blow up McDonald's. Go to Carl's. You know, if you don't like, if you don't like the uh, Denny's, well, go to Tommy's. But don't blow up Denny's. You know what I'm saying? Go someplace else. Don't stay home and become godless. This is America. Where I was saved in Mexicali, there was only one choice. That was it. There was only one church to go to. There were no other like choices. That was it. So I had to love it. I loved it because it was. So don't get this excuse. Somehow. You blame your. Or my pastor. My pastor. He just went by the wayside. He disappointed me. Really. You have your eyes on men. You should have your eyes on God. Yes or no. You know. It's, 
You know, I'm a wagon train kind of a guy. The, the old movie wagon train. The other day there was a program and there was a preacher that had fallen by the wayside. And one of the young guys made an observation. He says, Don't, do not judge God by the people who worship him. Whoa. <laughs> right between the gut. Don't ever judge your God by the people that worship him or serve him. You judge God by what it says in the text. Amen or not? No. Don't blame. Yeah, we have no excuse. If you lose the fear of God, it's whose fault is it? Ours. Ours. Don't. Always own up. Always own up. Always own up. Like the thief did. We are suffering justly. He owned up to it. He owned up to it. He wasn't blaming anybody. He wasn't angry up there. He wasn't spitting on the crowd. No. He owned up to it. And we should too. And that's how you always maintain the great fear of God. And then let me add this final one. You see it here. You're going you're gonna to get... You're going to lose your fear of God when you minimize, when you minimize fellowship with Christ. When you lose the awe of God. We began with that this morning, the awe of God. The wonder of God. Don't ever lose the wonder of God. They always have the wonder of God be there for you. You see, in the course, in the course of the crucifixion, it wasn't by accident. That God organized or orchestrated that Jesus would be in the middle and on either side would be a thief. Because it gave the thief an opportunity to look and compare the man in the middle and his, and his partner in crime on the other side. And throughout the course of the crucifixion to do a comparison of this man, of this man. Who spoke to his disciples and he said, this is your mom and this is your son. And who said to the crowd, he said, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Was he dragged his cross to the cross? He said to the women that were weeping, we, women, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. Don't weep for me. He heard that. And on the cross, he looked at him and he saw that there was a difference. And all of a sudden, the light turned on, an epiphany. And he saw that this man was not simply a fake and a phony. He was a real thing. He was Jesus of Nazareth, the real king of the Jews. He's the Messiah. He's the promised coming king. And he's the savior of the world. And the other man, the other man was an example of all humanity in rebellion to God. But he saw for the first time, he saw Jesus, and whoa, whoa, he fell in love with him. That's how you not lose, my friend, the fear of God. Never lose your love and your awe of the Lord Jesus Christ. Never lose your awe at the Word of God. Let the word of God always be awesome to you. Awesome to you. When you read it, it's like this is God's word. 
all of a sudden it comes alive. It comes alive. That it would never be. It would never be. That it come, always comes alive. When you lose the awe of the word of God. Oh friend. Oh friend. Don't lose the awe. In the worship and ministry of God. The psalmist. The psalmist says I want to be in your tabernacle. I want to be in the house of God. I would rather dwell, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of what? Of wickedness. I want to be where God is and worship Him. Friend, our culture, our culture, you got to be careful with that. We have so much. We are bombarded by stuff. 24-7. I don't know how many million, million signals are, are given out every single second in our world. We're just overwhelmed. If you're not careful, you're going to be overwhelmed and you're going to lose the awe of God and the worship of God. I mean, I jog. I jog every so often, two or three times a week. I don't, I don't listen. I don't have music. I don't want to be distracted. I want to get out and I want to see God and his creation. I want to get to the top of that hill and look out and see the San Gabriels with snow on them. We haven't seen them like for 10,000 years. Now they have snow. And to see that and the clarity of it. I want to be able to, to enjoy God's creation. I don't want to be hearing trash and junk. For me, Sunday is the Lord's day. It is still the Lord's day. It is the Lord's day whether I preach or I don't preach. It is a time for, for God and the peace of God. I don't, I don't just listen to, to sermons. I don't want to be overwhelmed and have, the, have, the, have so much familiarity becomes a contempt. I want to stop and save you. You know... If you know me well, you know that I, I eat very slowly and it takes forever to me to eat. I'll sit down, it takes me like an hour to eat. My wife has a fit. Because she eats like in, well, I won't tell you when she, you know, <laughs> scratch it from the tape, okay? And my grandkids, my grandkids said, Grandpa, you're still eating? Because they don't eat, they just suck. You know, that's the way they eat. The heck, take a hamburger. That's what some of you guys eat. Chili cheese fries, you don't even taste them. They're gone. Oh, you take a chili cheese fry. Mm. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And that's. And that's worship. That's, that's what it is. That's what it is for us to meet together. I'm a pastor of a church. My, the men are here. The men are here. They know that. You know, during, if it's worship and somebody's sitting there talking when I'm preaching away, somebody's messing around, I'll stop and say, hey, hey, you want to talk? Get out of here. Get out of here. This man pays good money to come in this church to sit here and listen to God's word and worship together. If you don't want that, go. 
I'll do that. No, I don't, I don't recommend that you do that in your church. <laughs> Friends, what I'm saying is that don't, don't lose this, the sweetness of Christ, the worship. And so it is. And the fellowship with Christ and the affections of Christ. Don't lose the awe of God. God is awesome. He's always at work. And there's an awesome about him. We don't ever want to look. It's like a good marriage. When you're married to a good woman, you know, you don't, the key to a long marriage is to never lose the awesomeness of your spouse. One of the men said he married up. We always marry up. All of you marry up. Or you don't marry at all. I hope you get that one. And so it's, <laughs> Yeah. You see, you don't lose the awesome when you don't lose the awesomeness of your wife, how glorious and how god godly and how good she is. You don't deserve her. Wow, then that just makes you love her even more. You said the coach of the UCLA Bruins, when his wife died, she was he was so in love with her that even after her death, he would he would lay a rose on her bed. Every single day. That's how in love he was with her. May we be in love with Christ. Amen. Never, ever, ever lose your awe of Christ. Thank you, Lord, so much for loving us and blessing us. And for this wonderful day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen.